as much as we demonize some foods and I think that's always kind of the first thing that I will address is like kind of people's mentality around food and we always say it's it's never the food that's the that's the issue whether you're do, if you've got a performance goal or for body composition goal it's never the food that's kind of the problem it's your mentality around it and it's yeah. the thinking of food as, as good and bad and or kind of a, a treat or a cheat um because ultimately food can't have any morality like it's it's literally food like there's there's no emotions attached to it it's, it's not something that's possible Welcome back to a new episode. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast. This week, I've got Sammy Cooper on, and I'm really excited for this conversation. For those of you who don't know her, she is a nutritionist at March On, and she is producing some outstanding content on her Instagram. And for me, what's the best part about her work is she debunks so many myths with regards to diet and nutrition. And I think a lot of myths around diet and nutrition is potentially very, very harmful for people. You only need to scroll on Instagram for five minutes to see how many people use nutrition as a form of self-harm rather than self-care. I mean, unless you're training to become Mr. Olympia, you should not be eating only dry rice and chicken and asparagus three meals a day. You should not. You shouldn't be cutting out the foods you enjoy. I had someone message me the other day saying, you eat so much Biscoff. Like, how aren't you fat? And the answer is... Well, I do it in moderation and I only have maybe a tea, a teaspoon or two before I go to the gym. And my energy expenditure is so much more than those two teaspoons of Biscoff. But what Sammy uncovers in this conversation is ways you can enjoy the foods that you love. I mean, life's too short not to enjoy the foods you love. And for me, getting this advice and having this conversation with an expert in this field was priceless. I know people everyone actually who listens to this is going to take a lot from it because like I said it debunks a lot of myths so I hope you enjoy this was one of the most impactful conversations I've had with regards to health and nutrition so I hope you enjoy Sammy thank you for coming on today I'm really excited I feel like we've been connected for ages on Instagram and I think the amount of knowledge and content that you put out there is phenomenal so it's great to finally have a conversation with you and um yeah get you on yeah thanks very much for having me yeah I think that's the beauty of Instagram you get to connect with people but it's nice to actually have a have a face-to-face chat absolutely how are things really good thanks yeah um well currently injured uh in a cast but as good as they can be um when when you are in a cast and relying on people um so yeah we're all good I've got one one more week in the cast and then it's off so I'm very very much looking forward to that but other than that, yeah, life's good. Life's good, thanks. Good to hear. So the first question is, what made you become a nutritionist? So what's your background? So I, I mean, uh, probably a bit of a given. I have always loved food. My family have always been really into food. We, It was a, a massive part of our, our lives growing up. Um, so I've always been something I'm interested in. I think I started helping my parents cook when I was about two years old with my little uh, like blunt Winnie the Pooh knife. So I've always been interested in food and in cooking. Um, it's been a big part of it, but I kind of got into it when I was at uni, definitely more so. Um, I started playing rugby and ultimately I just wanted to be the best rugby player that I could. Um, mm. And naturally food was somewhere to look for that. Um, so I kind of, that's when I started to get interested in it. Um, I did economics at uni, so um, quite far from what I do now. And then I went into, into marketing after. Um, 
and I was so in marketing for kind of three years did the classic went traveling for a little bit um, and was back in into marketing but just found that I wasn't very fulfilled in what I was doing um, wasn't particularly enjoyable I I actually I ended up applying to be um, an, an uncle firefighter so I was very much almost an avenue that I went down it was almost fine and Sam um, I mean it's still time still time um, but yeah and then it it kind of got to the point where I I basically had an anxiety attack at work. I'd never suffered from anxiety or anything like that before. Um, and that was the, like the first time in the toilets. And I was like, that's it. Like, I'm, I'm going to quit. So oh. I'd, I'd already applied to be an uncle firefighter. I was looking at becoming a PT as well. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I kind of worked out that I didn't want to be there anymore. Um, like I'd had a, had a great time and had a good three years, but it just wasn't what I wanted it to be anymore. So was going to be a well I was it a PT so I did a, a PT course uh, I was literally qualified in two weeks so I went from being in full-time employment in an office to being a self-employed personal trainer um but I'd also applied to to MAC nutrition um to to start um studying nutrition basically it was always something I was interested in and that was just a new avenue I went down and as soon as I became a PT was working with clients um I realized how much of the nutrition side that people just don't know mm. um and that's what I was really passionate about and so it, I ended up having to split my services with with personal training and nutrition as much as they go together I started to realize that there's so much more to nutrition because there's so much more to people than just than just food and there's there's so much behind that so that's kind of where I started to put more energy into and and that's kind of where where it all went I was uh, self-employed I had my own business and now I'm I am a nutrition coach at, at March on so yeah that kind of happened the start of this year um just yeah just doing more nutrition and being able to help more people and yeah that's that's where I am today that's amazing and it's such a, a feeling of self-awareness isn't it when you get to that point where you feel just so anxious and you know you need change yeah absolutely and that kind of all came so I've having played rugby I've had like a, a like a stupid amount of injuries to be fair a lot of injuries but they undoubtedly like I wouldn't be here without them like yeah. I just before I um quit my job I was I was back full-time but I'd had eight weeks off because I had a, a shoulder up um where I wasn't working at all and when there's nothing you can do like I couldn't drive there wasn't really much I could do like there's nothing else to do but but just to think a lot and and think about like what you want from life and it was always a, a deep question but it was it was a really good period of time to to kind of do that deep thinking and I'd never really done that before I was never growing up I wasn't hugely in touch with my emotions or what I wanted and, and what I felt and that was a really good time for me to actually like reflect on what what I did want from life and um just focus on what, what I wanted and you kind of get to realize what you don't want to do um mm. and that's I think injuries really did give me that is the the ability to kind of be more self-aware and I think pr probably as I get older as well I become even even more self-aware and and it's only it's only beneficial and I only see the positives from it they're a horrible thing to go through, aren't they? I mean, you just feel so redundant and you just don't know what to do with yourself because you're so active and you think as soon as I stop, I'm regressing. Like I'm not making any potential, but it's amazing the lesson in itself. And I'm a big believer in everything's meant for a reason. And sometimes you can't see it at the time, but afterward you think, ah, I know why that was meant for a reason now. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm I'm completely with you on that. It's it's like shit as you go through it and yeah. it's it's difficult. Um, 
and it's definitely I've experienced like lots of clients who have struggled with it as well but all of them like have without a doubt come out a stronger a better person more self-aware and they've gained something from that um and if it's yeah I think it's as, as difficult as it is going through it as you say like you'll come out of it and at the time you're probably not aware but yeah there's there is so much that you you do learn from those situations and ultimately it's just made me way more resilient than I probably ever would have been Absolutely. And that's, this is why I'm so looking forward to like the conversation that we're having now, because the Q&A we've kind of got, I did a poll on Instagram and questions I want to ask uh, you. And I think, like you said before, people don't really tap into that nutrition element as much as they should. It's becoming more and more popular now because mm-hmm. there's, you know, good content that you're putting out there, but it's not tapped into enough. I mean, you can train and train and train great but you're not going to get the results you deserve if you're not putting in the correct nutrition and it's not just about training it's just about general life isn't it there's a lot of fad diets and a lot of negativity towards food out there which i really think needs to be you know looked at i remember putting up something the other day on instagram i think i tagged you in it or something and it was what i ate before the gym it's literally like a biscoff on a bagel it's like what i eat most days and it's like what i always eat before and people like someone messaged me just kind of saying oh like how would you not put on weight if you eat that every day? You know, like, oh, like if you eat that all the time, why are you doing this? You know, yeah. and it's like, I follow, yeah. you know, you and, and people from March on and it's like, like people have brownies and things like that before the gym. Yeah. But how can you do that and still look like that? And it, for yeah. me, it's like, that's why I'm looking forward to this conversation to sort of get rid of a few myths and think you can yeah. actually enjoy food and train. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's such an overlooked part of nutrition is that yes food is such a good tool to to fuel your body to nourish your body to keep you healthy but it's so much more than just a tool to to like perform or to manipulate your body composition there's so much more to food than that like we have uh like the social side of it it's it's such a big part of our our culture throughout the world no matter where you're from food will always play a massive part um and also just the fact that we eat three meals a day like plus plus snacks like that's there's so much time spent around food um that it has to be so much more than just a tool to to yeah be an excellent sports person or to Mm. manipulate your body composition um but yeah as you kind of say like we we do often put certain foods on on pedestals and kind of give a, a certain bad name to to other foods um and I had a chat with a client earlier actually who was who was saying how it's it's interesting to follow like and, and see photos like that and see that there is a place for for all foods and of course on social media you only see such a, a narrow um like snapshot of, of what people are doing and of course like if you only ate biscoff bagels like that's probably not going to end too well for you but it is in that whether it's a situation whether it's before training there, there are definite benefits for that um but one just a, a bagel is a very good source of carbohydrates high high carb biscoff as well it's going to give you the kind of quick release sugar that you need to then go and go and train and utilize that in in your training um and that's that's one of the benefits but also it's more to more to it than that like bagels mm-hmm. tasty like biscoff is great um <laughs> and so yeah it's and it's difficult to kind of see that from social media but we as much as we demonize some foods and i think that's always kind of the first thing that i will address is like kind of people's mentality around food and we always say it's it's never the food that's the that's the issue whether you're you've got a performance goal or for body composition goal it's never the food that's kind of the problem it's your mentality around it and it's the thinking of food as as good and bad and or kind of a, a treat or a cheat um 
because ultimately food can't have any morality like it's it's literally food like there's there's no emotions attached to it it's, it's not something that's possible um but just from how we've kind of our society has kind of brought us up is that we start to label certain foods um and that's always something that we kind of challenge straight away because your relationship with food is is so important with how how you view it again like we've just said it's such a big part of everyone's life so if you start to attach a, a morality towards a certain food as soon as you eat it like there's no no wonder that you feel guilty or you feel like negative emotions when you eat that and it it really does play into that so seeing food as neutral with that food neutrality and the kind of food freedom to know that you can eat whatever you want to this this is something that I always say to clients is the the unconditional permission to eat whatever you want and in whatever quantities you want to and for someone who's looking to lose weight that's such a foreign idea because Mm. like the thought of I can eat whatever I want in whatever quantities that's that's not going to work but a lot of that comes down to knowing that you can it's the classic like when you're when you're growing up and your your parents tell you to not do something you automatically want to do it so if you suddenly put foods off limits you're only going to want them more you're going to crave them more and then when you are actually around them it's no wonder that you kind of can't just eat one or two biscuits it's you you end up eating the whole packet so once you have that you know that you can have them you know that they're not a scarce resource if you've got a pack of biscuits in the house you know that you can have like a couple three or four whatever is like a, a decent sized portion for you that will satisfy you like mentally as well that hedonic hunger so yeah, if yeah. you if you know that and this is a, a classic that you see kind of influencers on instagram saying that they have chocolate every day and you look at the portion it's like one chocolate button it's like yes they have chocolate every day but there's still some mental restriction around that so allowing yourself to have an actual decent sized portion that is going to be satisfying um is kind of what the, that hedonic hunger is, is all about so knowing you can have it in in whatever quantities and if you have two or three biscuits one day you know that they're not going to be gone tomorrow so you can have some tomorrow as well you can have them the day after if you run out you can go ahead and, and buy some more and now that they're in the house you know you're in a much better position to kind of take charge of that situation and actually decide what a a reasonable portion is for you that day because you've got that intent and you're allowing yourself to have it it's just much easier to deal with and ultimately that's only going to benefit whether it's a body composition goal or just health in general but also just your um, mental well-being around food Um, you know that it's now not a scary thing to you're not gonna the world isn't gonna end when you eat this thing Um, and it makes it much easier to deal with it breaks my heart when people see exercise and nutrition as something that's awful. You know, like you just see it on social media or you may, maybe have friends who have this, that they look at physical activity as a really horrible part of your day. We can get beasted for an hour and it's a really unpleasant experience. And the nutrition is just as bad where they think, oh, I'm dieting this week. This is horrible. And I'll put up the most boring dry chicken with a bit of rice or a bit of, you know, which is fine if you like it and that's something you yeah. do. But if you don't enjoy eating it and then that actually decreases your confidence then within exercise nutrition so how would you help develop clients confidence when it comes to nutrition and exercise Mm -hmm. I think curiosity is probably one of the most underrated things that, that you can be and going into training and nutrition with a curious mind and knowing that what might work for someone else might not work for you and kind of going into that with uh like okay I'm gonna try this and knowing that it might not work and that is completely okay knowing that you can go ahead and try something if it doesn't work cool we'll we'll try something else um but also when you kind of go in with that mind rather than like a strict kind of plan it's not necessarily like oh this this isn't going to work my diets never work it's that oh this could actually work like I wonder what would happen if I had this and yeah so so going into things with curiosity and 
I think often with, with nutrition and training it, we make it so black and white. And so it's like, I've got this five training sessions um, a week. Uh, I need to do X amount of cardio. I need to lift X amount of weights for X amount of reps, whatever it may be. Same with nutritionists. I'm cutting out all carbs. I'm doing all of this. I'm going keto. I'm going vegan, whatever it may be. It's such a, um, yeah, black and white way of thinking. And ultimately the the kind of the results and the the most life happens in that the middle ground it's it's the kind of unsexy stuff that maybe doesn't look good on instagram but it actually is what's what's realistic and it's making it work for you and your lifestyle um and knowing yeah that it doesn't have to be in extremes and often we will kind of get uh, either like perfectionists or people who would just have a very much all or nothing mentality um and for some people they'll perceive that as a good thing like when they're all in they're all in the, they'll go for everything um which is fantastic but like there's absolutely no way in hell that you can always be like all in like it's just not realistic so one I think just having the acceptance that it, that's not going to happen that's not realistic and not putting such high expectations on yourself and knowing mm. that actually yeah you are human and it's okay to to like not go 100 miles an hour all the time so going in with that expectation so with the curiosity with the kind of knowledge that it doesn't have to be 100 miles an hour all the time and being accepting of that and accepting that there will be times along that where things don't go to plan and that's okay um and just yeah being okay with that and, and expecting it to happen I'd imagine it's a lot with trial and error, isn't it? You know, like you said earlier, what works best for you is not going to work for the best for someone else. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. don't compare. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like it's, I think comparison is such a big thing. Um, and I guess again, social media doesn't perhaps help that. Um, and I think that's, that's, I'm always keen on, on clients kind of going through their social media feed and, and actually cultivating something that they, they enjoy and does support their goals. Mm. And whether it's following people that um, are like, kind of living kind of how they want to live or, or that kind of identity how they want to see not necessarily their actual life but whether it's someone who is performing well like following them and seeing seeing what they're doing and um because ultimately you you want to start aligning your actions with your identity that you want to become rather than who you have previously been so you might have been someone who um like ate a whole pack of percy pigs and would um like only go to the gym once or would fail every single diet you if your if your goal is to be an athlete and perform really well you want to you want to start aligning your actions with that identity so trying to cultivate a social media feed that kind of supports that identity is going to be hugely helpful um but as you say yeah it absolutely is just just trial and error particularly when it comes to um like performance so like a marathon runner um, just because everyone's kind of digestive system reacts so differently to, to different foods. Um, and so it's important to, to try those things and know that, yeah, it's not the worst situation if this doesn't go to plan. It's a, it's a learning opportunity and seeing, seeing those kind of um, moments like that, not really as, as failures, but as actually just an opportunity to learn. And that's where the curiosity comes back into it. Because if you kind of go into it, like, this is, this is it, this is the plan for me, like, this is it, um, this is going to be amazing. And then you fail. And it's no wonder that you feel not great about yourself because you had expectations that it was going to be successful. So going in with knowing that it's not going to be plain sailing um, and just, yeah, accepting those, those kind of setbacks as that learning opportunity. And it's a, it's a great chance to like evaluate and yeah, and just kind of learn from it. And then as you say, you've, you've done the trial and error, the error. Yeah, it happened fine. Let's, let's go for another trial and, and it, let's see, see where we go with that.
Absolutely. And I think people associate um, failure with regression that you think, oh, just because it didn't work, I've gone backwards now and I've I've lost out on all, you know, the gains and, and what I'm going to do yeah. and what I'm going to make and the progress I should be making. And, and mm-hmm. actually, like you said, it's just a lesson, isn't it? You know, it's part of progress. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it really goes back to that all or nothing mindset and seeing that kind of, yes, it might be a step back, but it's you're still 10 steps forward from where you were at the start. Like yeah. I, I was speaking to a, a client this week who we're, we're focusing on just having, having breakfast. Um, and that was her goal to, to have, like get to a point where she's, she's having breakfast continuously because that's what was going to support her, support her goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was kind of slightly upset that she'd only done kind of two or three out of seven days a week. Um, and yes, that's not seven, but that's still considerably more than she was doing beforehand. Mm. So that's a, and I think it's so important to, to notice those wins. And it's, it is much more difficult when you're kind of doing it on your own, particularly if you're someone who isn't really used to reflecting and is, has previously been that all or nothing it's, but looking for the kind of the small wins along the way and seeing that it's not complete regression. It's yeah, it's a step back, but you're still so much further than you were then before you started. Um, and it's, it's a classic with like, um, with binge eating, it's, you're never just going to suddenly like get there. You're just never, never going to suddenly stop doing it. It's likely going to happen along the way. And it's, but it's knowing that it's all part of the process and, and yeah, it's, you're still binge eating, but it's, that's, that's still continuously on your, along your way. And it's kind of how you then, um, react to, to what's happened is yeah, it's the important bit. Just the power of celebrating the small wins, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's so underrated. It really is. My next question then is, this was quite a popular question that was asked. What are some of the biggest myths around muscle growth and food? Uh-huh. So there's probably quite a few along the way. Um, <laughs> whether it's a myth, but I think people will just overcomplicate things. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, like the most important thing is like your resistance training. That will always be number one. Um, then I think... I often see people we, like protein is, is kind of then the next most important thing, but mm. it's more specifically protein frequency. Um, and so protein frequency will come above a, a calorie surplus. So I think a lot of people think that when you grow muscle, you have to eat in a massive calorie surplus. So eating way more calories than you're expending. And, and that's the way to do it, which, and there's no denying that being in a calorie, calorie surplus is beneficial. And, and, and that in itself, you're the kind of um, energy balance will depend on your your training age. So how long you've been training. So for someone who is new to training, there's a good chance that you're you can get away with being in a, in a smaller surplus or at maintenance or perhaps even in a in a small calorie deficit. But for someone who's been training for years and years, they're already at a pretty controlled body composition. Like you will need to be in a calorie surplus. Yeah. But even for those in that calorie deficit, you can still grow muscle by paying attention to your to your protein frequency. So by kind of having around like 0.3 to 0.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight um kind of five to six times a day so we're looking for that dose um yeah multiple times a day over kind of total calories and over um total protein as well so your total protein will kind of come out as a um as a byproduct of having that that dose of protein five to six times a day um that's that's kind of the the second most important thing to growing muscle um outside of outside of training um, yeah, which I think is probably not not known so much, uh, but protein frequency is yeah is the most important thing. Wow, that's really interesting because I think people get confused with if you're 100 kilos, you need to need to need to always get 200 grams of protein in, and they mm. think, well, I haven't had much today, so I'm just going to have a massive protein shake and just get 100 grams in. If people do that, 
I'm, does it digest properly? It can't do, can it? And you're not so, getting the adequate amount. Yeah. So if, if you're kind of having a hundred grams of protein in, in one go, it's not like that it's going to be detrimental to your gains. It's just probably not optimal. Mm. Um, so if we're looking at amount of, of protein you can kind of utilize for muscle growth in one go is after a training session, it's probably around like 40 grams. So it's not as if the, the other 60 grams is going to be damaging or it's going to minimize your gains. You're either just going to pee it out or it's going to be utilized elsewhere in your body because protein isn't just for for kind of muscle growth and repair um but it, it's just not optimal so if you're so it's your yeah you'd be much better off kind of splitting that into three lots of 30 or two lots of 30 and, and 140 um that is far more optimal because we're we're looking to stimulate that the muscle protein synthesis so the basically yeah the, the growth and, re, and repair of those muscles um and to do that you need a, a certain amount of protein um the amino acid leucine in particular we need a certain amount it's called the leucine threshold um so you need to hit that in order to stimulate muscle protein synthesis um and yes you would do that with 100 grams but if you're able to spread that out more you'll be able to hit that mps more times so which is, is going to be more optimal um and kind of on that as well we so once you've spiked your um amino acids say so the the amino acids in your blood have, have spiked you've kind of hit the the leucine threshold muscle protein synthesis is is happening um so say you have your 30 grams then an hour later you have another 30 grams you won't get any benefit of having the, the 30 grams an hour later because there's a refractory period so your it takes a while for the amino acids in your blood to return back to baseline it's around kind of two to three hours so having that the, the 30 grams but spreading it out kind of two to three hours is going to be far more beneficial than having um kind of that like every hour basically because it, it needs to return to baseline again there's not not anything wrong from it, but you're not going to get any more gains from from doing that every hour. Wow, really? It's two two to three hours. Like the the hour isn't wow suboptimal then. Yeah, yeah, and it, it kind of does depend on the, the the protein you're eating. So for something, so that's that's um whey basically. That's a very good mm. example of, of whey protein is yeah. around two to three hours. If we're looking at casein, which is a, a more slower digesting protein, um that refractory period is is much longer. Um, which is why it's more beneficial to have casein before you go to bed to because you're to basically to, to slow down muscle protein breakdown, which is the opposite of muscle protein synthesis. So, of course, while we're asleep, um, you're not eating unless for some reason you're up in the night eating, which to be fair, I have seen um, clients have have done that before come to me and they'll, they'll get up at two to eat some protein. Um, and get up like three hours later to eat some more um that's not optimal just saying um please don't do that um <laughs> sleep is also hugely important actually yeah, i'll come back to sleep sleep's a good one for muscle growth um but yeah so casein is it's good to have before bed because it it minimizes that muscle protein breakdown um yes. while you're in a faster state at night so casein is, is ideal to have before bed um which you can you can get like in the same as you can get whey shakes you can get casein in, in a powdered form um but also things like Greek yogurt, quark are high in, in casein. So if you don't want just a, another kind of um, shake type thing, then yeah. you can get it, get that from there. Is it possible to lose fat and gain muscle at the same time? Yeah, so it is. Um, it kind of comes back to your training age and also your your body composition. So for someone who is, is new to training, you are more likely to, to gain that muscle um, in a deficit um, because it's a kind of a new stimulus to you but also your body composition will have a quite a big impact on that so if you're someone who is a very controlled body composition 
Um, so kind of the leaner you are, the like the less likely slash borderline very very difficult not going to happen it is to kind of gain muscle and lose fat but for someone who is overweight or has kind of excess fat to lose they can grow muscle and lose fat at the same time simply because you can be in that calorie deficit and if you're this is all um you like assuming that you are hitting your protein frequency so if you're if you're doing that um you you absolutely can grow it the thing with being in a, in a calorie surplus is the benefit of that is that it slows again that muscle protein breakdown um and that's that's really helpful and also it just means that you have more um chance of, of eating more carbohydrates which is beneficial for for training but so for someone who is um overweight um your body will look to get that energy from your stored fat. So if you're in a calorie deficit, your body can use that fat, stored fat as energy to for that muscle protein breakdown and to kind of fuel, fuel your training. So for someone who's obese, yes, you can grow muscle and lose fat. For someone who is already pretty lean, it's going to be very, very difficult. Okay, that's that's really interesting to know. That was a really common question I was um, asked to. Um, the second one, which actually leads on from that, what are some of the most unhealthy diets then that you've come across and you wouldn't recommend people because you see people who cut completely carbohydrates and fats out and unless you're going for the Mr. Olympia title and you're a professional bodybuilder and you're doing it for a very short amount of time, I don't think you really should be doing it, should you? No, no, for sure. Carbohydrates are our body's preferred source of fuel. Um, so both training in the gym but also like your brain as well so um cognition can can often suffer and i know people who have, have gone keto felt like they, they did have some kind of brain fog particularly in the early stages and and to be fair people then did say that they they found some clarity and they were able to focus really well um but it's likely that their training probably probably would have suffered um particularly if you are training like a lot uh with relative high intensity um and if it's more kind of conditioning um aerobic stuff then 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 use of carbohydrates becomes even more important so yeah going keto or just low carb if you're someone who is keen on training just likely isn't hugely beneficial and there there is some kind of theories around um like uh train low so as in low carbohydrates and how you kind of become more fat adapted so when you are in that kind of train low stage then you're able to become more fat adapted so you're able to utilize that better when you when you are performing and you can utilize the carbohydrates better um and there kind of is something in that but one you become more fat adapted by literally just training so you naturally do that that's a natural kind of um what happens but also the kind of point of training is to then adapt from that, that training stimulus recover. And that's how you adapt and get better. And if you're kind of low carb and you're not optimizing your training performance as best as you can, you're not going to be training to the level that you kind of need to be to then go and adapt and perform later on. So mm. it's yes, it potentially, but it, in, in practicality, it's not, not really going to be helpful. Um, but yeah, so for most people, carbohydrates are hugely important. Um, and I mean, I think like the only case where keto actually is helpful is in, it, it can be used in children with epilepsy whose um, epilepsy is not being treated by medication and it's kind of not working in, in that case. Um, honestly, I have no clue what the science behind it is and why it works, but that's kind of the only case where it is kind of prescribed and, and would be helpful. Other than that, you're probably just going to be killing your, your performance. So whether that's if you are, if you're solely focused on performance or if it is muscle gain, muscle gain, of course, we know the, the most important thing is training. If you're not performing well in your training, you're going to be hindering your muscle growth as well. And let's be honest, like carbs are pretty tasty. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, you got you got to be uh, in a bad way to cut those carbs out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, in your opinion, what mm-hmm. do you think needs to be normalized in nutrition? And for me, I think I saw you post something like this the other day, and it's moving away from eating six hundred to eight hundred calories a day and thinking it's doing you good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that having a, a figure like a, a calorie target, and in, in, to be fair, in, in general one calorie tracking in general i think people are becoming a little bit more aware that it's not always the most helpful thing to do so i 100% did this when i was when i was first a pt when i was looking at nutrition um i all of my clients were tracking on my fitness pal that was just like the go to that was that yeah. was the standard yeah. thing we did um but now it's it's never a given and um, for some people it might be helpful as kind of like an informational kind of point of view, just to gain some awareness. Again, that curiosity of, of what is in the food that you're eating rather than like, I must stick to these calories. Like this is what I get. Um, it's, it's going with, with that kind of curiosity to gain some information around what's, what's in the food you're eating. Um, and cause and one of the kind of biggest, we, we do like a big screening process and we um, gather as much information as we can about a client. So getting their, their kind of um, history with dieting before their previous experiences and including kind of what they've, what they've, um, what methods they used before. And if, and if they've used tracking before, what were their experiences like with it? How did they find it? Um, and then from there, we can kind of then decide whether it's a, a good thing for them. And ultimately, it's their decision. We kind of put that on the client and, and it's up to them. They can decide what they want to do. Of course, we're there to advise, but um, it's it's their their life. If they don't want to spend tracking, um, then, yeah. then by all means, that's not something that we're going to force them to do. Um, and for a lot of them, people have done it before, particularly athletes most of them will have gone through a phase on, on my fitness pal. And so they've already got that understanding and the knowledge of what is in the food that they're eating. So moving away from a specific number. Um, and yeah, the, the like ridiculously low calorie diets are just never going to be helpful. Um, it's going to leave you feeling rubbish. It's going to exclude you from lots of social activities. Um, could eventually kind of lead to, to proper health problems further down the line. Um, some of them will be unreversible. Um, so just chronically low calorie diets are just not not helpful um, in any way. But also, I think when we kind of come out of that, it's it's attributing a certain like a meal with a caloric value. So um, and again, I previously would have done this, like having a lunch, a lunchtime meal, which was like over 500 calories. I would have been like, whoa, OK, like that's that's a lot. But realistically, it's like it's not. And again, that's such a, a kind of a narrow minded way of looking at it and attributing a a meal with a certain caloric value um, is is not really helpful. That's a, yeah, that's a classic. It's not just about the exercise. It's about how you feel and what it does to your mental health too. And the energy mm-hmm. it gives you and, you know, how it sets yeah. you up for the day. And like you alluded to before, like what it does for your brain and everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is so much more than the the kind of what you get out of training in terms of the, the fitness and the strength, you get so much more from it. And I think a huge part of kind of what I believe in is actually doing things that you enjoy, um, whether that's training, whether that's with your nutrition, eating foods that you actually enjoy. Um, I think that's probably another one of the things that needs to be normalized is not cutting out like just everything Um, and eating like bread multiple times a day. If you, if you want to, like you've still got nutrients in there and of course if if you're eating a varied diet outside of having bread twice a day or or having like two portions of carbohydrates on on your plate at once or or the same with fats um that is such a normal thing to do but it's been kind of 
demonized and seen as something that we that we shouldn't do um and even like just going a day with actually not eating a vegetable and not feeling like the worst human in the world because yeah. like that happens sometimes like me as a nutrition coach um i definitely have eaten gone a whole day with not eating a single piece of veg um whether you're out and about if you're on holiday whatever it may be of course if it's happening like on the regular then perhaps that would be something to address because health um but <laughs> yeah it's again it's it's seeing that as like the worst thing that you could do and and not yeah not being okay with that so yeah there are there are so many more things like that just and another one like hitting 10k steps a day yeah for a lot of people it's just completely unrealistic um so just kind of seeing where you're actually at now and 10,000 steps is actually quite a lot um and might not might not work for you again it's the comparisons isn't it Exactly. This is so refreshing to hear because you look on social media and you could look at, you know, X, Y, and Z, and they'll be telling you what to do. And often it's, it's everything that contrasts what you say. So it's mm-hmm. so refreshing hearing, you know, you can yeah. eat the foods that you like. You don't have to be doing what other people are doing. You don't have to hit 10K steps. You can eat bread. You know, there's not enough of this information. That's why I couldn't wait to have you on here because the information that you're giving is so pertinent to people in everyday life not even if you're not into you know physical exercise you can enjoy these foods yeah I, I just think it's so engraved in us and a lot of a lot of the time you don't even realizing you're doing some of these things like it's just a normal habitual thing that you do because perhaps it's what your your parents did it's what you were just kind of taught and, and what you've kind of grown up with so it's suddenly I think that's why it's important to to like I, I love sharing information and I love putting stuff out there because even people who don't realize that they perhaps don't have the best relationship with food suddenly start to realize, oh, I actually do some of these things. And I actually realize that it does have a negative impact on, on how I view um, food and, and how I view myself. Um, so yeah, it's, there is so much kind of misinformation and such rigid things to do. Um, and it's never like the people who are putting that information out, it's, it's never their fault and they will always have good intentions. Well, well, most of them, um, anyway, most of them have good intentions and it's likely that they just haven't ever been kind of, um, aware of, of that situation and known that there is another way of doing it so yeah um, and I also think that's a big thing of, of knowing that you can be wrong with something and accepting that you can be wrong and being open to other stuff um, I think that will go really far in the industry and always just thinking yourself I guess kind of with that humility and curiosity that you don't know the right way of doing things and like I, I like having discussions and, and being told different ways of doing things and and being open to that because um one I was definitely once that person that thought all of these things and there, there's so many more things that I, I still don't know so I, that's why I love having conversations like this no me too I think it's yeah it's never been needed more I think to create that you know he- a healthy and positive lifestyle so you're gonna be an expert in this one now because you're going through it what should nutrition look like when you're injured yeah so <laughs> this is this is probably um Again, probably a big reason why I got into nutrition was I was faced with some injuries at uni and was trying to just do what I could to to, to kind of get back to where I wanted to be. Um, so it, it does kind of depend on the injury, but if we're assuming kind of like a soft tissue, ligament, tendon kind of stuff. Um, so first up in the kind of early stages, so the first probably like 70 hours, the, the key is to, to manage inflammation. So it's not necessarily looking to completely reduce it because we know in the early stages, inflammation is important for the healing process. 
but it could be worth so if you're someone who takes kind of high dose omega-3s and fish oils or you're eating salmon regularly just kind of reducing that would be helpful because those are anti-inflammatory things which um, will be important kind of further down the line and in general are are really helpful to have in in your everyday life but in the early stages where we kind of need that slight information we're, we're all about managing that so potentially reducing that um and I guess kind of the first thing would be to to look at your just energy balance so if you had been previously dieting stopping that because um healing is such an energy expensive process and this is where injuries can be such a minefield to deal with particularly for an athlete who is has to have a certain kind of body composition or body weight for for whatever and and any any kind of athlete to be fair is is knowing that yeah there's always a fear of gaining weight um, that is always such a big thing, particularly around around injuries, um, because you're not going to be naturally as, as active. But just knowing that the recovery process is is so energy expensive and it can be kind of your so your, your basal metabolic rate. So kind of your, your coma calories. So if you're to lie in a bed all day, the, you'd still need energy to, to kind of to live. And when you're injured, that rate can go up by between like 5% for kind of minor injuries up to 50% for kind of fractures and, and big kind of stuff. And for major burns, it can be up to a hundred percent. So you're, yes, you may have reduced your energy expenditure by not moving so much by not being able to play sport, but your body is recovering and that is hugely energy expensive. So being aware of that and knowing that being in, a, in an energy deficit is not helpful in that. So aiming for kind of maintenance or if anything, a, a small surplus, but if, if it's a big surplus, again, that's probably not going to be hugely helpful. So one, just ensuring adequate adequate food is is, is happening. Um, reducing, yeah, the, and just managing that inflammation, looking at, at protein as well, kind of throughout the whole um, injury kind of phase. We want to try and maintain as much muscle mass as you can. I'm sure most people will want to just for, for kind of returning back to, to where you wanted to be. So anywhere between for, for this age, probably 1.8 to kind of two grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Again, looking for that kind of five to six feedings throughout the day um, is going to be really helpful there. Um, in terms of supplements as well, probably creatine, I'd say creatine throughout creatine is great for anyone who is kind of um, focused on performance Um it's helpful for recovery in, in this, but also just increasing power and strength. If you're, yeah, even if you're not injured, so creatine is always a good one. Um, yeah, so I think, and then as soon as the kind of first seventy-two hours, even well, kind of one to one to seven days, I'd say it depends on your severity of the injury. That's when you can start to kind of eat some more um, anti-inflammatory foods. So getting oily fish involved, those kind of considered healthy fats. Um, I hate kind of saying healthy fats, but but the, the monounsaturated, polyunsaturated fats, so your oily fish, nuts, seeds, all that kind of stuff is going to be helpful for that um, anti-inflammatory properties. Then the standard, just eat some good fruit and veg. <laughs> eat, look for diversity, so um, a rainbow of fruit and veg, lots of different colours on there. Again, keeping your protein high. Um, vitamin D as well will be helpful, um, just helps the kind of immunity. Um, and yeah, and, and again, vitamin D is probably something I'd recommend for, for most people anyway. Um, and I guess probably a big part of it is um, some self-compassion, <laughs> not strictly nutrition related, but I think hugely important in, in the injury phase and particularly when you're dealing with um, the, the struggles of not wanting to gain weight, but knowing that it's, it's likely going to happen. I think with that acceptance that it might happen is will make things much easier um, and just being being kind to yourself in that situation. 
it's hard, isn't it? When you just want a quick fix when you're injured and you just want to kind of like binge it. Like I've been there when I got injured. It's just having a bit of a bad week and just thinking, I'm just going to eat whatever, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. I'm injured, but actually, yeah, that could be quite detrimental if you, if you do it long term. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, firstly, knowing that if you are emotional eating, that is such a complete like normal response. And it is a, a completely valid coping mechanism for yeah. something like an injury. But it's when it becomes your only coping mechanism, that's when it becomes problematic. So, um, yes, you can, you can rely on food to, to kind of make you feel good. But actually just having a think about what else you can do that you enjoy. And when you're injured, of course, it's probably going to limit yourself massively. And so you do have to sit down and think, like, what can I do if I if I can't drive? What can I do in this house that I can enjoy doing? Maybe it's like picking up an old guitar that you used to play or yeah watching a watching a Netflix um series that you enjoy or whatever it may be just having a think about what does make you happy because yes you can fall back on food um every now and then there's absolutely nothing wrong with that completely valid coping mechanism but yeah it's it's going to run into problems further further down the line when we know that it's not going to be helpful for the recovery process it's not going to be helpful long term um so looking for these other things that do make you happy and yeah don't kind of depend on on anything else so touching on that then, someone, for example, who has entered a bit of a binge eating kind of period in their lives and they've kind of just gone into it a bit too much now and they want to get out of it. But again, it's it's the bad habits and they keep going back to it. What would your advice be to get out of that cycle? Yeah, so I think just acknowledging that it, that it is a cycle and the kind of three causes of, of binge eating are firstly, probably the, the overvaluation of, of shape and weight. So kind of just valuing your self-worth based on how you look or how much you weigh that's one of a, a huge driver behind any kind of well a lot of eating disorders but yeah binge eating being one of them um then also restriction i think this is a lot of where where people fall down is they'll someone will chronically diet and they'll they'll be on a low calorie diet and that restriction then leads them to, to overeating they'll overeat they'll binge eat and they'll be like okay well tomorrow i'll just restrict myself again and that is the cycle that's it's really difficult to break but knowing that um, and so and this is where it can be really difficult to to kind of overcome that just knowing that yeah. to when you want to lose weight and so you do this and then you binge eat and then you don't lose weight because you've just binge eat so so actually stopping dieting when you are in that cycle is going to be probably the most important thing that you can do and that is hella difficult to to kind of accept um but knowing that it's about the long-term thing and if it's something that you do genuinely want to want to change and kind of overcome you need to stop restricting um, and with that, going for regular meals, so three meals, three snacks a day is a really good place to start. And for someone who has been in a, a dieting phase or has tried to diet, for, which could have been for, for years, it is really difficult to, to have those three meals and three snacks. But that's that's hugely important. And then the kind of third driver behind um, binge eating is just kind of emotions and not being able to kind of deal with them and, and regulate them. So being aware of the emotions is probably the first place to start. And writing down when you do binge eat writing down like what was the scenario what what were you feeling what were the what was going on in your mind what had previously just happened what were thoughts that, that had kind of been, been running through your head um and then looking at yeah how do you what you eaten that day were you really hungry had you kind of put yourself in a place where you, you hadn't eaten that much that day um things got slightly stressful and, and then you find it to yourself kind of um binge eating so going in again with that curiosity rather than the the strict mindset but but going in with that almost playing detective with yourself like oh okay that's interesting why has this happened rather than like damn it again why has this happened like yeah. I'm just whatever it may be but actually seeing it as a okay this has happened I wonder why this has happened like maybe if, if I kind of 
figure out why it's happened today maybe it'll happen tomorrow um and once you have kind of you've gone through another episode of, of binge eating the the best thing you can do is to go back to that that next meal or the next snack it's just to get back into that because you can easily stop it just because you've had one episode of, of binge eating you can absolutely stop that it's again just leaving things where they are being aware of your thoughts and emotions and if you're able to address those it's unlikely that food is ever going to address the underlying emotion whether it's loneliness whether it's stress yeah. food um is tasty but it's not capable of, of addressing the underlying emotion so by actually being aware of what that emotion is and finding a way to, to better deal with that you're going to be in a much better place um and that again throw some self-compassion in there and it's going to make things so much easier to deal with i've just thought of something as you were saying that then and we're talking about binge eating and restricting ourselves i've come across quite a few people and friends as well who will eat so clean five days a week like overly clean like it's not maintainable yeah. and then saturday and sunday it's game over it's like eat whatever they want it's not tracking it's drinking yeah. loads of beer like do you mm. think that i think i personally think that could be a, you know a reason behind potentially binging because you're restricting yourself so much that you're just craving all these other foods because you're not doing it in in a subtle or you know a long-term way throughout the week or over seven yeah. days absolutely yeah yeah definitely um, and I know there's the classic kind of um, analogy of the bank balance. Um, and so by saying, and with the bank balance, of course, on some days you can save more. And then once you've saved, you can then spend a little bit more. And that's the kind of analogy some people give to, to the week. And, and people kind of go with that. It, it kind of makes log logical sense. And it sounds like a nice thing to do if you just kind of don't eat too much in the week and you, you bank your calories to then go and expend at the weekend. But which yeah it can work but as you say like you'll get to friday and you've, you've actually like hardly eaten anything a week like yeah. you're, you're bloody starving by the time friday comes along and then you're exposed to like going out for dinner and rather than having like a a reasonable portion and you can stop like when you're actually feeling full you're so hungry that you're unable to kind of actually be in tune with those satiety signals and you end up overeating and then you're like at this point fuck it, i'm just going to drink everything and have everything and <laughs> yeah. the beers the beers down the neck and then you're then you've got the like drunk munchies and you're sourcing out kebab then the next day you feel rubbish you're hungover and you go and seek some more food yeah. and, it, and it's all kind of stemmed from the fact that you just massively restrained yourself throughout the week that is not sustainable um and yeah it's it's unlikely to help the well it's not it's going to be detrimental to the kind of getting over the binge eating or or breaking that cycle or if you do have body composition goals it's going to going to wreak havoc with that because you're not going to kind of get anywhere but also just the fact that you'll then get to monday morning and you you will have just seen what you've done and you'll be disappointed and feel guilty for what's just happened whereas if you just intentionally ate a little bit more kind of balance i guess the, the yeah. classic word balance and in moderation throughout the week um and again being intentional with your decisions knowing that okay like i am going to go on on friday i'm going to have a couple of drinks but allowing yourself to do so allowing yourself to have a meal that you enjoy um is then gonna gonna leave you lead you away from the kind of guilt feelings on on monday morning so yeah, going for the the more balanced, again, the unsexy middle ground rather than the all or nothing um, and being intentional with your decisions and owning those decisions. Yeah, exactly. And again, it, it could impact, you know, the way you view the world and the way you view training and nutrition and Monday mornings. You know, if, if you're having yeah. a, like, if, if, if you're just binging all weekends and eating whatever you want to eat and drink whatever you mm -hmm. want to eat, Monday morning is going to look, uh, you know, a hell of a lot worse if you're back to Absolutely. a thousand calories a day or something. For sure. Yeah, it's never going to help that. And also just the fact that 
if you have ended up binge eating, that is so much for your body to deal with. And there'll be no doubt a, a ton of inflammation in your body, just, just kind of processing that amount of food. Um, and I know like people have said that it's actually felt they wake up on Monday morning, felt like they've played a rugby match. Like even if they haven't, they've had, there've been no games or they've never played rugby before in their lives. Um, just because their, their body is just processing so much food and such a high volume and likely really high fat, high sugar. Um, and then you feel horrific on, on Monday and then it's not setting you up for um, a, a particularly helpful week with your training or yeah, just actually feeling good in yourself. So yeah, it's difficult. Wow. That's interesting. So <laughs> What's the best way to accelerate fat loss? That could be the million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I had that answer, I'd probably be a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there, there's certainly a few things you can do to kind of help you out along the way. Um, I mean, just touching on what we've just mentioned is is not like it's actually being realistic with your with your calorie deficit. We know most people know by now that a calorie deficit is the only way that you can lose weight. So finding a sustainable deficit that actually is realistic to you and, and your lifestyle. Um, and it may be that you have days where you can actually deal with it a little bit more, or maybe it's weeks where you can deal with a little bit more of a deficit, but there may be particularly around like the menstrual cycle, the week leading up to um, like the first week of your cycle, you are likely going to be hungrier. That's a physiological thing. So actually perhaps then just being intentional and having slightly higher calories or eating at maintenance. So being flexible with that approach and, and not going too low calories will be hugely beneficial to for just sustainable and actually just enjoying life. Um, and, and for a lot of people, if you are like relatively overweight, it's going to be a lifestyle change. You're seeing it as that rather than a, a diet. Um, that's, that's going to be hugely helpful. So not, not being in a ridiculous deficit. Um, the next thing, probably protein. Um, so we kind of mentioned the benefits of protein for, for muscle growth and repair. And of course, if, if you're um, looking to lose fat in your training, it's still going to be beneficial for that. But also in terms of weight losses, it's the most satiating macronutrient. So it keeps you feeling more full than, than carbohydrates or fat, which um, if you're restricting your calories, is going to be helpful because if you're not eating as much, you want to try and get as, as feeling as, as full as you can. So protein is helpful there. Um, and also when people are looking for fat loss, a lot of the time they're, they're looking for that kind of lean look. Um, and that kind of comes from maintaining the muscle mass that you do have. So when you are in a deficit, again, your body is super clever and it will look to kind of use that muscle like for energy, basically. So it can start to, to break down the muscle and use that as, as energy. Um, so you end up losing fat and muscle. So it's going to help to maintain that. Um, yeah, I think for someone who is training as well periodizing your your carbohydrates so trying to optimize your your training as best as you can because again if you're restricting your your energy intake um of course exercise is your energy output so there's there's going to be some kind of negative correlation at some point so trying to um periodize the carbohydrates around it so ensuring you're having some carbohydrates before you train to give you the the kind of best chance and give you some energy for that um and then after as well to kind of help that recovery process so um, a lot of people will, will kind of lower their carbs as just as a way of, of basically just restricting calories a little bit. Um, and we kind of spoke about how going too low can be detrimental to performance in just general life. But yeah. if it is just even like minimizing portions slightly, if, if you are someone who's doing that, and then still just maintaining those carbohydrate intake around your training to get the most out of it, um, which will make training far more enjoyable, but also you're then going to probably expend a little bit more energy, which is helpful for that, that overall energy balance. Um, yeah. And then I think it's just the, the kind of that trial and error is, is really helpful. Um, 
trying things so maybe one week you try like reducing your carbohydrate portion for, for one meal and um, see how that goes but you, then you may prefer that actually it's fat you don't mind reducing a little bit and, and reducing fat instead and being being curious with it and knowing that it's a it's not going to change overnight um and that and that's okay and having that again probably self-compassion to to not be a dick to yourself and actually accept that life does happen sometimes um and then I think probably finally intentions I, I kind of briefly mentioned this but being intentional with your decisions so yeah. rather than going for the like I'll have one cookie and then you're like okay I'm just gonna have another have another and then you end up feeling guilty and eating the whole pack intentionally be like cool I'm gonna have three cookies and if you can account for that in your energy balance which by all means you absolutely can um being intentional with that and being autonomous with that decision and like owning that decision is going to be a sure way to to make yourself feel better and also kind of stop um perhaps overeating further down the line so yeah be curious be intentional be autonomous um being a a not too big calorie deficit eat foods you enjoy eat a decent amount of protein get some veggies in there for health and also just volume helps you feel full um yeah and enjoy it and eat the cookie eat the cookie (laughs) (laughs) supplements what Mm -hmm. are the go-to supplements though they're pretty glamorized aren't they supplements and i think people could be you know forgiven for you know misconstruing what supplements actually do for you and almost replacing them instead of nutrition you know when that's probably the worst thing you can do so what's your advice on correct supplementation yeah yeah definitely like supplements are there it's kind of a bit of a clue in the title to to add the kind of little bit extra to, to supplement to what you're doing already um and yes there there are some that we would kind of i'd blanket recommend to, to most people vitamin d being one of them simply because you can get a little bit of vitamin d from the food that you eat but um it's a very small amount and, and kind of nowhere near the amount that we do need um and even in summertime in the uk um i mean let's be honest we've not had any kind of summer this year um <laughs> it's been awful so but even if you are in a hot country things like sun cream wearing clothes will um limit your exposure to the sun and, and your ability to kind of synthesize the um the sunlight to, to create vitamin d so even in yeah in the summer times and for for most people if you're sitting at a desk or if you're inside all day you're just not going to get much exposure to, to sunlight so vitamin d for kind of in the summertime we're looking for kind of 2,500 um, IUs a day if you're in the UK, up to kind of 4,000-ish um, in winter. So that's that's definitely one. Um, Omega-3s is probably the other one that I'd recommend to most people. That's kind of dependent on your oily fish intake. So like salmon, mackerel, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But we're looking for probably one to two or up to three grams of, of omega-3s a day um, or the algae version if, if you're vegan. Um, but again, yeah, dosage will kind of depend on um, how much oily fish you eat. Same with vitamin D though, if you're worried, just going to the GP and, and getting it checked and then you can dose accordingly is probably the, the best recommendation um, with regards to dosage. Um, but those for everyone. Other kind of supplements, creatine is probably again the, the one I'd recommend to probably everyone whether you're training or not for the the recovery benefits the increased strength increased performance um is is really helpful for that um but also the kind of cognitive benefits um there's been some yeah really interesting research around that which is why i would get my like parents to take it despite my mom not being hugely active um i mean she does she she uh, she's uh, my only pt client actually now i have now i I don't trade anyone else but but my mom because i don't think she would if i didn't so um but yeah so 
trying to trying to get her to take creatine but just for for kind of anyone it's it's really really helpful um other than that kind of performance wise like caffeine again probably a bit underrated uh, not really seen as a supplement but huge kind of performance benefits for of, of caffeine um yeah increased power again strength sprint performance in, in rugby i read a really interesting study on that um but also knowing that caffeine can have a negative impact on on some people um it's for roughly like half the population are slow metabolizers of caffeine. So it can have a negative impact on, on them. I'm definitely one of them. I'll have like more than one coffee and I'll be like jittery. I'll be shaky. Um, and I actually just can't concentrate, but for those who it, it is beneficial, they're fine. Yeah. They can concentrate better. They can get more out of their gym session. Um, again, trial and error is the best way to go. Um, I definitely use to take caffeine help me and then wonder why like my performance was just going to shit in the gym and I couldn't concentrate and my heart rate would be all over the place um so so it can be helpful um and in in terms of dosage probably two to three milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight uh in a a double espresso there's around 160 milligrams of caffeine uh in like a rain um there's about 200 milligrams in a tea about 50 milligrams so yeah a few a few things for you um those are probably the most helpful ones um there are yeah there are of course more depending on what you're training what you're doing what you're looking for but always going to take a food first approach for for the kind of main vitamins and and minerals um just because you're going to get so much more bang for your buck um and yeah yes we're always looking for that diversity whether it be for for gut health or just um yeah general health food first is always the approach to go um but with creatine uh omega-3 and vitamin d often people don't get enough in their diet what about amino acid supplements then you mentioned earlier about how important lysine is do you think we get enough from food um so for someone who eats like a, a relatively high protein diet so if you're having even probably like 1.2 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight you're likely going to be absolutely fine for someone who if you're and realistically if you're taking bcaas your branch chain amino acids if you're someone who is taking those it's probably because you're interested in the gym and training and muscle growth so the likelihood is that you're already like eating a decent amount of protein so in that case yeah there's there's kind of no need at all you're already hitting your leucine thresholds um and it's just not not helpful at all i think my one of my favorite nutrition memes is a swimming like someone who's in a swimming pool and is pouring a bottle of water over their head um and that's literally what you're doing when you're supplementing with bcaas and yeah Yeah, it's one of my favorites um i mean the only potential is if you are vegan, perhaps just because plant-based sources of protein um, aren't as a high quality source of protein. So often don't have um, either a complete profile of amino acids or just if they do, it's often not in, in large amounts. So perhaps if you're vegan, um, yeah, there's potentially benefits of, of supplementing with, with BCAAs um, or if you're having a kind of a plant-based meal. Um, but even like, to be fair, if you kind of imagine, so I know I, I mentioned leucine is the, the amino acid that kind of starts the muscle growth um, kind of process. If you imagine leucine as being the, the lead singer 
and then the rest of protein other proteins other amino acids are the backup singers mm. like that kind of band that performance is nothing without the the kind of backup singers so ultimately like protein is going to always outweigh just having bcaas um because you're going to get it's more beneficial for muscle growth and of course then you're you're getting more nutrients there's going to be other vitamins and minerals of eating a kind of a chicken breast versus just supplementing with bcaas wow that's so bloody interesting i didn't know that wow that's that's really good to know right i'm never buying bcas anymore <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah right that's gone now um so uh, uh, what you said there gut health that's a really important link and i think with anxiety too and, and gut health often you know there's been recent studies and i've recently read books on the link between the both absolutely so what's your view on that yeah yeah the kind of the gut brain axis is is um is a is a real thing it's um and it's probably becoming way more more popular at the moment um and sometimes it is can be like a marketing ploy but there is such a link between um kind of your mental health and and your gut motility and all that kind of stuff so and often when people experience ibs symptoms um i definitely used to think that it was always down to food um and a lot of the time it actually is just like stress and anxiety so there can be have such a, a big relationship with you feeling stressed or nervous. Um, and yeah, whether you're, yeah, if you're nervous for something and then you find yourself rushing to the toilet, that's quite a common thing. Um, so yeah, ultimately like ad- addressing the, the kind of root behind that, that the stress, the anxiety, and it's likely going to have a big impact on your kind of GI symptoms. Um, but also, yes, like it, it works the other way and just getting a, a wide range of, of, um foods whether it's so looking at fiber and um, probiotics prebiotics um which you can get in 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 foods and kind of like fermented foods um all that kind of stuff is is really helpful and has does have such a big impact on on your mental health and is is was pre- probably previously overlooked and i guess there's just lots more research going on now um and how yeah how it is hugely important for for your mental health and yeah plays a big part of it it is. And it's, you know, I, I hadn't thought about it until I read these studies and I read these books and, and how powerful it is. Okay. My penultimate question, sleep, the power of sleep. How important is sleep? Well, it's one of my favorites. Sleep is so important. It's probably the most underrated performance and just general life enhancer. Um, mm. It's there's no kind of bodily function that doesn't operate on some kind of um, clock. And we know, I mean, that the term circadian rhythm refers to your your, your body clock, which is um, around kind of 24 hours. It's actually just slightly over 24 hours. So if you were to go and lie in a dark room for, for days and days and days, um, your body would still run on just over 24 hours. So without any kind of light cues. Um, but it has such a big impact on our ability to recover. So in kind of the the early stages that the deep sleep which is kind of mostly happens in the in the first half of the night that's where most of the the kind of muscle growth repair all that kind of stuff happens but then the the REM sleep which typically happens more so in in the latter half of of the night is where the kind of um, emotional regulation happens and our when we're moving long-term short-term memories into long-term storage Mm -hmm. so from a an athlete's point of view both of those are hugely important Um, but also sleep has a big impact on our kind of appetite hormones so when you're sleep deprived just naturally like when you're tired you want some sugary food to give you some energy but also it has a big impact on your so your leptin and ghrelin so your 
ghrelin is um like your your hunger hormone so you generally feel often feel more hungry leptin is your fullness hormone so it's you you feel less full basically so big impact on that um but also just food preferences and kind of going back to the the cognition and and being able to recognize what a decent sized portion is when you're sleep deprived it's, it's much harder um and in terms of weight loss as well those who i think the study was if you slept i'm gonna say eight and a half hours versus five and a half hours those who slept eight and a half hours basically lost considerably or they, they both lost the same amount of fat but maintained a lot more muscle so um yeah really important for that in terms of performance um it just i mean we know that when you're tired you're not you're not going to be performing your best particularly over a chronic period of time it can lead to injuries if you're not recovering properly um decision making it has a big impact if you're learning a new skill perhaps you're doing a new drill um with the team that week or just learning a new skill in the gym um yeah really important there um yeah sleep is very underrated <laughs> no it is yeah. it's yeah so important you know and I think anyone could be forgiven if they don't get enough sleep in that day, they know it's a massive difference. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. everything, isn't it? I, I listened to a podcast recently with um, an, an American yeah, psychologist, Andrew Huberman, and it just blew my mind of like how important it is, you know, all the dopamine, you're processing everything that's happened in the day you're recovering. Oh, it's honestly amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. Last question now is I asked this to every guest. What is one it could be a mantra, it could be a quote, or it could be a bit of advice that you think you live by every day that kind of keeps you, you know, on purpose and doing what you love. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think be authentically you, stay curious, and don't be a dick to yourself. Love that. Okay. Love Great. that. No, that's so important. And to the point, I love it. <laughs> thank you so much. This has been absolutely gold the past hour. So I can't thank you enough for coming on. And yeah, just thank you for coming on and sharing all this. This is going to help a lot of people, I'm sure. Thanks. You're welcome. It was a yeah, great chat. Loved it.